bear with me if I do cough and splutter. Apparently, I've got the worst case of man flu ever recorded in the Craigavon area. Um, <coughs> that's official. But uh, you have it as well, do you? You had it as well. Thanks for giving me that. Um, but uh, I, I wonder, as you look back at the start of a, another year, we're going to be, uh, last week we were looking at Haggai chapter 1, and how encouraging was that? And uh, it was kind of about judgment and, uh, and discipline and rebuke. You'll be glad I know Haggai 2 is about encouragement and inspiration. Uh, and so uh, those of you who, who were tempted not to come back this week, um, thank you that you are here. But I wonder, as you look back in your life, what would you consider to be the good old days? What's the times that you look back at with a kind of a special fondness and you think, if only life was still like that. Maybe it was your childhood. Maybe it was where you grew up. Maybe you grew up in the country or maybe you grew up in, in, in a different part of the country and, and, and you look back and you think, oh, they were the good old days. Maybe it was your days as a student at university. Maybe it was when you were young, free and single. And if you're married or in a relationship right now, don't nod. That is not a good thing to do, especially if your uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, or, or spouse is beside you. It will not go well for you. Um, if you're like, yeah, it was brilliant when I was single. Um, uh, but uh, maybe it was the early years of marriage before you had a lot of responsibilities. Maybe it was when your kids were young and, uh, and, and you enjoyed just holding them as that little baby and, and they were so precious to you before they became those terrors that are known as teenagers. Maybe it was a time when you lived in a different country. Maybe it was a church you were part of, a move of God you experienced. Maybe it was a relationship you had and you hearken back to a relationship in the past. Maybe it was a job or career you were part of. You know, we all get a little bit nostalgic sometimes as we look back. A few weeks ago, Elijah and I were out in the car and we were leaving stuff to the the dump in the fair green and poured it down. And I said, Elijah, I want to show you where daddy grew up. And he was mildly interested. And, uh, and so I brought him round, drove up the Armagh Road, because we were near there, and into Arthur Avenue, just off. And I said, you know, that's where Daddy grew up. And, he, and I said, that's where Daddy went to school, Millington Primary School there. That's where da-. And I said, see that car park? That used to be a, a field with trees. And, uh, and, uh, and that's where Daddy, you know, and, and used to, to play when he was a kid. And Elijah looked at me and he said, can I have the iPad? And... Uh, and he was mad, but, but I was reminiscing, I was getting nostalgic, and it's actually interesting. The word nostalgia actually comes from two Greek words. Nostos means homecoming, and algos means ek. It's an ek for home. It's an ek for that place of comfort, that place of security, that place where we felt most at home. The good old days. And it's good to reflect on the past. It's good sometimes to reminisce. It's good to give thanks for what God has done in our lives. But you know, the the problem can be that sometimes we are so focused on looking at what God has done in the past that we miss what he is doing today. We miss what God is doing right now. We spend so much time looking backwards that we never actually move forwards. And that's what happens in this passage in Haggai chapter 2 that we're going to look at this morning. Last week, as I said, we looked at, at chapter 1 
And, and, and what the, just a little bit of background if you weren't here. 70 years before this were written, was written, uh, Babel, the Babylonians invaded uh, Israel. And because of Israel's sin and disobedience, God lifted his hand of protection and blessing off them. They were carried off into captivity, what in the Bible is known as exile. They were carried off to Babylon for 70 years. And then this king called Cyrus comes along. He says, you know what, go back and start to rebuild your home country. Start to rebuild Jerusalem, start to rebuild the temple especially because whoever your God is, I want him to bless me. And so they go back uh, and at first they start to build with great enthusiasm and great gusto and great passion. But then some opposition arises. There's a bunch of people called the Samaritans who had been there while the, the Jews were in exile. Uh, and and the, the Samaritans started to, to, to oppose them, started to make life difficult. And so the Jews shrunk back from their responsibility. They decided to take a break. And what I said last week, and I feel I need to emphasize this again, is that if you're going to do what God wants you to do, if you're going to press forward in the Christian life, if you're going to step into God's purpose and plans for you, there will be opposition and there will be obstacles. There's no other way around it. Sometimes we see opposition and obstacles and we go, well, that must be God saying no. That must be God closing the door. Sometimes it is not God closing the door. Sometimes it's the enemy seeing what's at the other side of the door and trying to keep you from that. And there are some doors that we need to kick open. There are some doors that we need to pray open. There's some things that we need to push through. There's some things we need to advance through. Because when God's people and God's kingdom starts to advance and move forward, we have an enemy who stands against us and tries to stop us from coming in to all that God has for us. There will be discouragement, there will be opposition, there will be people talk about you, there will be people lie about you, there will be things within you, there will be disheartening. And if you allow those things to define you, to determine you, to take you off track, you will always stay stuck where you are. And that's exactly what happened God's people. They took a break, the discouragement and the opposition caused them to say, we'll take a week or two off. The week or two became a month off, the month off became a year off. And 16 years years later, they still haven't done a thing. And, and, and what happened was this, while they were neglecting God's house, they were busy building their own houses. They were, were beautifying and, and building their own houses. And God speaks through Haggai and says to them, you know what, life isn't going well for you. Things aren't good for you. You're planting, but you're not reaping. You're working, but you're not seeing the benefit. You're earning money, but it feels like you've got holes in your pockets. God basically says you're under a curse. The sky is not raining. The crops are not growing. I am not blessing you, and you don't know what's going wrong. And God says to him, Haggai, to tell the people, go back and do what I told you to do before, and then you will see I will bless you. Then you will see the results you're looking for. And you know what? If life is consistently not going right for you, sometimes you need to go back to where it started not going right and discover what the decision you made was back then that has led to all the other decisions to the place you are today. Sometimes it's one wrong turn back there that leads you in a completely different destination that you plan to go. One wrong turn can lead you in a completely wrong place. It's like if you ever lose something, what does somebody say to you? What's the last place 
you saw it. And you're like, if I knew that, I wouldn't need to search for it. I would go back and find it. But if you have lost your, your passion for Christ, if you have lost a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, go back. Where did you lose it? And, and God says, you know what? Until they do what I've told them to do 20 years ago, life isn't going to go good. Because God will never bless disobedience. God will not bless sin. God will not bless disobedience. Because you know if he did, what would we do? We would keep sinning and disobeying even more because we'd want more blessing. Sometimes God disciplines his children. It tells us that in Hebrews. Sometimes he just pulls his hand a blessing off us for a little while and says, you know what, you can go that way, but there's consequences. And so I want to, to just, I want you to come back. I love you so much. I want you to do what's best for you. I want you to obey me. And therefore, until you do that, I'm just going to lift my hand of blessing and protection off you. And it's not to punish us but it's always for our good. And so that's, that's kind of where we left it last week. And at the end of, of, of chapter 1, they, they start working. Last, this is what we read in Haggai 1, 14 to 15. If you go to the next slide there. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So they begin to work again. And we get to the start of chapter 2. It's a month later, and this is what we read in verses 1 to 3. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like you seemed to you like nothing. Something occurred to me as I studied this. 20 years ago, they had started to rebuild the temple. 20 years ago, they had cleared the ground, laid the foundations, and started to rebuild. This is 20 years later. What has happened to those foundations that they laid 20 years ago? They've become dilapidated. They've become ruined. Have you ever seen somewhere that they've started to build a house and they've, maybe it was when the economy crashed, they started to build houses and you see them and they've been sitting for years and the place has just become overgrown, it's become dilapidated, it's become broken, it's become a mess. And so here's the very first thing that they would have had to do. Before they rebuild a new temple, they would have had to clear the debris of the old mess that they created 16 years before. They would have had to create the, or, or clear the rubble away that they had created in the past. They would have had to clean up the mess they had created. They couldn't build something new on shaky, broken, damaged foundations. And my point is simply this. As we begin 2018, as we seek to build God's good future for our, our lives, is there any debris, any rubble, in our lives that we need to clear away? Are there any things from our past as we seek to build our future that actually are going to cause us to have a shaky foundation that no matter, you could build the best thing on the worst foundation and it won't stand? Are there any relationships that you need to restore? And are there any relationships that you need to stop? Are there some phone numbers in your phone that you need to delete 
Is there some stuff that you need to remove? Are there some conversations that you need to have? Is there some pain and hurt that you need to confront and address? It's not that we get all inward looking and introspective. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's very hard to build something fresh and new on the debris and rubble of something that hasn't been cleared away. And some of us wonder why life always feels a bit shaky. Maybe it's because there's some stuff beneath the life that we're trying to build that, that, that we actually need to deal with. Because very often the things we try to deal with aren't actually the issue. They're just the fruit of the issue. And it's actually the root that we need to deal with. That was just a freebie. No charge for that. Uh, but we, they begin the temple and, and very soon deep discouragement sets. And look again at what God says in, in verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? See, within a, this is a month later. They've started building. And a month into it, they get a sense of the size and scale that this new building is going to be. And here's what happened. Some of the people who were the, the older people in the, in the community, some of the more elderly people, they remembered the old temple. They remembered the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And so they're walking around as the, these people are building and they're remembering the glorious temple that was built under, under Solomon. And they're looking at it and they're going, it's not as good. I mean, it's really not anywhere near as good. I mean, it's really like, it's, I mean, it's, it's rubbish. Uh, I mean, it, it's just pitiful. It's sad. It's, 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 it's nothing compared to what it used to be. You see, the old temple built under Solomon's reign took 250,000 men seven years to build. It was gold. It was precious stones. It was beautiful. It was stunning. It was the pride of Israel. It was the most beautiful building. People came from all over the world to see it. Apparently, I don't know who does this, but apparently, I was reading in one of the comedies, if it was uh, built today, it would be worth 150 billion pounds. That's how stunning the old temple was. And so there was this incredible temple built under Solomon. And as they begin this new temple, it becomes apparent very quickly to those who remembered the old temple, the old glorious temple, that this new structure is so incredibly inferior to the old one. It's pitiful in comparison. It's like tearing down the Taj Mahal and building a garden shed and saying, da-da, and people going, it's really not that good. They, they, they just didn't have the money that they had under Solomon. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the finances. They didn't have the people. They didn't have the... And so, and so they start to hear this and they become incredibly discouraged. They become depressed they become disappointed, disheartened, disillusioned, disject, dejected, dismayed. All those words that begin with D. Uh, they, 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 they just are, are they, they, they've been doing their best. They're doing their best with what they have. They're giving it their all, but it's just not enough. They're giving it everything, but they're not getting the results. Do you ever feel like that? That you're doing your best, but you're not getting the results? You've been living on kale and spinach for two weeks and somehow you've managed to put on three pounds. Like, you know, like you've been drinking water for a week and, and still like you stand on the scales and there's no change. 
you, you've been doing your best in your job. You give it everything. You work twice as hard as the person beside you and they get promoted. And it takes every bit of Christian uh, strength within you not to give them the right hand of fellowship to the side of the head. You're working on your marriage and, and, uh, and, 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 and you're giving it everything. And yet you seem to be growing further and further apart. You're trying to save for a deposit on your house. And every time you, you have a little bit of money put aside, you have to make a repair in the car and that's you back to square one. You're doing everything right. You're giving it all you have. You're giving it all your resources, all your strength, all your energy, but you never seem to be getting further ahead. That's how God's people feel here. And what does God say under their situation? Well, three things. He says, be honest about the past. Be honest about the past. He looks at yesterday and he says, be honest about the past. Verses 1 to 3. Look at verse 3 again. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look like you look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? God doesn't go, guys, cheer up. I mean, I know you think it's, this new place is amazing. Like, don't listen to those guys. The new place is so much better. It nearly sounded like Donald Trump there. It is amazing. The White House is amazing. Um, and, and, you know, he doesn't try to trick them into some sort of mind trick. Of uh, He goes, actually, guys, how does it seem? Those, those of you who remember the old temple, does, I mean, this does. It, it, it seems like nothing, doesn't it? It looks like nothing. It looks pitiful. He's honest with them. He deals directly with them. And God says, let's not bury our heads in the sand. Let's be honest. It looks like nothing in comparison. Compared to the old one, this looks like nothing. I love that God, when you read the Bible, our God is a God who is direct. You know, sometimes people tell me that I'm too direct. And, 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 but God doesn't mince his words. He just says, guys, it looks like nothing. Compare this to the old one, it looks like nothing. In comparison, it looks like nothing. And you know what the key word there is? Comparison. Comparison. So much of our discouragement and disheartenment and disappointment in life comes from comparison. We live in a world of comparison and the media and especially the social media have made it so much worse. If you want to get depressed, join Instagram. Who of you is on Instagram? You scroll through other people's amazing lives with all their beautiful friends as they travel the world and their new cars and their wonderful lives as you're sitting there hoping that, that your favorite program's on Channel 4 tonight uh, so you can watch it as you eat your ready meal that you've spent two minutes cooking in the microwave. I mean, you feel like your life is... You look at... You compare your life to these people's lives and you're like, what? Like, I am nothing. I have nothing. Like, they are amazing. Like, we follow some of our favorite preachers on Instagram. Like, and they're always jetting off to America to preach. And, and they're like, they just seem to have the best life ever. And you're like, you know, like, we're just trying to control our five-year-old from burning down the house. And, and they're just like, you know, they're just having the best life. And you're like, I, it feels like, 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 seriously, God. Like, I know you love us all the same, but like, you seem to love Charlotte Gamble just a little bit more. Or Lisa Bevere, or Stephen Furtick. I mean, that guy, that guy even got a great voice. And uh, like, if he was from Ported Down, he wouldn't be as famous as he is. Uh, you know, and, and, he, and it's like, it's like, God, I, 
I sometimes just struggle when I, and I compare my life. And, and, and you know what? 1 Corinthians seven seventeen says this. Go to the next slide there. I actually just read this verse this morning. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. That's a good verse in the message for some of us, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 7, 17 in the message. Don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Because we do that, we subject ourselves. I think for us men, we compare ourselves in terms of status. We see that guy next door in his new big, I'll not mention whatever brought a car because some of you drive that and you're driving something and you go, you know, or you look at their job or you look and, 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 and they seem to have so much more and they, they, they provide for their family and, and they seem to have so much more income and, and we compare status. I think women, and this is a generalization, but most generalizations are true because they're generally true. Um, you know, we compare, women tend to compare themselves a little bit more relationally. You know, they, 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 how good a parent they are. You know why their children seem to have a legion of demons while everybody else's kids are so nice? <laughs> Any moms ever feel like that? You see other people's kids and you're like, they're so well behaved. I must be ruining my kids' life. Like I am the worst parent ever. Or we, we compare our bodies, you know, how skinny we are, how well we dress. And this curse of comparison, it can make us feel sometimes like, like we have nothing or even worse, like we are nothing. And God speaks to his people and he says, be honest and realistic. Face up to reality. He says, don't bury your head in the sand. Don't look at that magazine cover of that stunning girl and pretend, you know. Don't look at Liz Hurley on the cover of whatever magazine she's on and go, I'm, I'm better looking than her. You're probably not. But, but you know, like, like just be like, like, I'm just, God says, face reality. You know, he says, look at the new temple. Remember the old one? It's not as good. Not by a long shot. It's not anywhere near as beautiful and impressive. That's just the truth. And sometimes we just need to be honest. In your lives, mom. Moms, you know what? You're probably not going to be as skinny as that stick-thin model who lives on carrots and watercress and has never pushed two babies out of her body. That's the reality. You're not going to be. Stop getting depressed. Man, you may not be able to drive that car that your neighbor drives. But what you don't realize behind the scenes is that he works 16 hours a day. He comes home and he drinks a bottle of vodka and his family never see him. You see, we compare everybody else's highlights to our behind the scenes. We scroll through people's lives and we see their highlights and we look at what we're doing and we go, my life is nothing in comparison. We compare their best to our worst. Or the other thing we do, we compare where they have finished up to where we have begun. We compare where they are 10 years ahead of us to where we are right now. That's what God's people are doing here. They're comparing their small foundations to the finished temple. But what if that finished temple, if you'd have seen it a month into the construction... Would it have looked as impressive? No. We compare our beginnings to someone else's finished product. Maybe that's why God says to Zechariah, and you see the next book straight after Haggai in your Bible, Zechariah, and Zechariah was a prophet who prophesied at exactly the same time as Haggai to the same people about the same temple. And look what Zechariah said in Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise 
Can we put it on the screen? Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Do not despise the small beginning. Do not despise where you are now. Great things usually don't start out looking so great. So stop comparing where you are today, but just get on with whatever God has put in front of you. Because here's the thing, and this is important. If God is working in your life, even if it's in a small way, it is not insignificant and it is not inferior. If God is at work in your life, even if it's in a tiny way, it is not insignificant and it is not inferior. You see, I think we all tend to do one of two things as we look back. We look back and we think that everything was worse in the past. We look back at the past and everything was awful back then and everything is is better now. It's the old story of, you know, when I was a child, we didn't have running water or electricity. We had to walk 10 miles uphill to school on our bare feet and 10 miles uphill coming home. 27 of us lived in one room house and we had a chicken wing between us for dinner. You know, like, like, you know, you hear that sort of, and you're like, really? And then I think the tendency for some of the rest of us is to go the other way. And that is that everything was better in the past. That's the good old day syndrome. Everything was better back then. You know, remember church back then. Oh, everybody used to come on a Sunday. The place used to be packed. Even the balcony was packed 20 years ago. Even though most of the people who went had no interest in God, they were just showing up. You know, at least at the bal- oh, the, oh, the BB back 20 years ago. Oh, my good. I, 20 years ago, I, you know what? I could have played for Liverpool if it wasn't for that ankle injury. You know what? You didn't even play for Lockall United or whatever they're, you know, Lockall FC. Like, but you could have played for Liverpool. Like, we, we look back and we look through rose-tinted glasses. Everything was better back then. We reminisce about the good old days. We had more energy. We were younger. We had more hair. We had hair. People were friendlier. Lurgan and Portadown had better shops. Glenavon used to win football games. You know, our church was... Yeah, Yeah, don't shoot the messenger. Um... You know, we had a certain, you know, we, we look back with, and the glory days are back there, and here we are today. We look at past relationships. Do you ever see anyone come out of a relationship and, and they've been with them for six months, and all they've done is fight for six months? And then two months after the breakup, they talk about the person as if they were like a saint or an angel, and you're like, they were like awful. They were a horrible person. But they, re- like, all they remember is the good bits. We do it about previous churches. Churches that we were once part of. We only remember the good bits. Oh, that church was amazing. We were all so close to each other. We were, you know what? Why aren't you there now then? There's a reason. If it was so perfect, why aren't you there? If it's still there and it's that perfect, go back. You know, seriously, and just even go back for one week. Distance and time have this distorting effect on how we remember things. If I'm being honest, I had to deal with this in my own heart recently. A few months ago, I started reminiscing and getting nostalgic about Dublin. I started missing Dublin. 
I started missing, and I know it's very hard for you to imagine if you're from Craig Avenue or put it down or Lurgan, that anybody would like Dublin, that cosmopolitan city that's the capital of the Republic of Ireland. But I started missing the place. I started missing our house. I started missing living beside Phoenix Park and living beside the zoo. And I missed our church. I started missing it a little bit and I started harkening back to it a little bit. Do you know what I did? I faced up to reality. About a week before Christmas, I said, Elijah, we're going to Dublin Zoo. We got in the car, we drove to Dublin Zoo, we spent a few hours at Dublin Zoo. I said, come on now, we're going for a drive. We drove up to the house we used to live in. We drove to the church I used to work in. We drove in to Grafton Street. We walked around for a while. We drove out of Dublin. It took us one hour and ten minutes just to get through the traffic. And do you know what? Halfway home, two things were going on in my heart. Thank you, God, for what you did while we were there. And thank you, God, that I'm not there anymore. But I had to face up to it. And if I hadn't done that today, I could still be painting some picture of it that just, it was great. And I thank God. And Becky said, how did you feel? I said, Becky, I'm just so thankful for what God did through us there. But I would never want to go back there. Because God has moved us on. And sometimes we just need to be really honest and confront some of this stuff. Because we build this picture up that is just not true. That childhood romance, that girl you went out with when you were 16, that you still think, you know what, if I found her on Facebook, we could still get together and have a beautiful... You know what, she, she, she's probably like hunchback quasi-mono now. I don't know, you know. Like, get a life, catch on. Or else if she's not, she would look at you and go, you look like hunchback quasi-mono now. Oh, I'm really thinning out this congregation order. So God tells his people, look back, be honest, be realistic. We're the good old days, really as good as we make them out to be. And the second thing, and we're, we're, we are coming into land. That was my longest point, and I'm going to draw things to a close. Today, keep building. Today, don't give up. Keep building. Look at what God says. Now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you, do not fear. And then he says in verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. See, the people had got so discouraged about the past, about how things used to be, compared to now that they thought, what's the point? Why bother? Why even bother putting our time, our energy, our resources into this now when actually it's never going to be as good as it was? And God says to them in verses 4 and 5, you know what, you're absolutely right. It's never going to be the same. It's never going to look as good to you. It's going to be different. Things are going to be different. But that was then and this is now. So be strong because I am with you. Three times he says, be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Remember the last time he said that in scripture? It was to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You know what? God will not be strong for you. He will be strong in you. But he will not be strong. You will have fears. And everything that God has for you is normally at the other side of your greatest fear. And God says to them, be strong, be strong, be strong and work. Get on with what I have called you to do. 
work. It might seem overwhelming. It might seem too big. You might feel discouraged. You might feel disappointed. But work. And into our situations, God would say the same. God would say to us, you know what? Things are not the same as they were in the past. Things are not the same as they were a year ago, two years ago, 20 years ago. But don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Keep going with what I have called you to do today. Build a future. Work with what you have. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong, for I am with you. Be strong, for I am right here with you. Do not be afraid. And he says, I am your source, and I am your strength. You see, they're depressed because they don't have the resources that Solomon had to build this beautiful temple. And God says, you know what? The silver is mine and the gold is mine. I am the source of your resource. Whatever you need. I don't, God said, don't be worrying about the silver and gold for the temple. If you go to heaven, tarmac is gold. The streets are made of gold. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. So stop worrying about the externals. Stop worrying about things that I don't care about. The silver, I don't need your silver and gold. It's all mine anyway. And whatever you need as a resource, I am the source. And then he says, keep building. Keep building one brick at a time. Keep building. It doesn't look like much, but keep building one more brick. That's how you build anything, one brick at a time, you know. That's how you build a marriage, one brick, one conversation, one day at a time, one argument and one forgiveness at a time. That's how you build a career, one task at a time. That's how you build the body you want, one workout, one meal at a time. That's how you get out of debt, choosing to save and not spend on that one item at a time. Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, says this. Successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. That's a great quote. You see, anyone can do something once. Anyone can eat one healthy meal and feel like, wow, I can't believe I haven't lost five pounds. I just had one healthy meal. Anyone can go to the gym once. Anyone can can invest in their marriage for an hour. Anyone can have one quiet time. But successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. I love the old movie Chariots of Fire. And there's a scene in it where the English runner, he had been the champion, Harold Abrams. He's running against Eric Little, who's the, the Scottish guy. And he loses. And he has got it. He's bitterly disappointed and he says I'm never going to race again and his girlfriend Sybil's talking to him and and she's saying look it's only a temporary thing it's and but he won't change his mind and so Sybil's frustrated and she says well maybe if you can't take a beating you shouldn't race again and Harold Abrams says this I don't run to take beatings I run to win and if I can't win I won't run to which Sybil pauses for a minute and she looks him in the eye and she says but Harold if you don't run you can't win if you don't run you can't win be honest about the past be honest about where you are today but keep 
doing what God has put in front of you today. Be faithful where you are. Build today, brick upon brick upon brick. Don't spend the rest of your life looking in a rearview mirror. You cannot go forward if you're constantly looking backwards. Plus, if you're always looking back there, you will miss what God is doing right now. Remember how God revealed himself to Moses? Not as the I was, not as the I will be. He is a great I am. Paul, the apostle, said this, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining what is ahead, I press on. I press on to win the goal. Isaiah 43, familiar verses, forget the former things, do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Look forward and begin to move forward. My last point, tomorrow, the best is yet to come. This is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God says, don't be discouraged. Yeah, things are different. Yeah, things might not look the same to you. Things might be difficult. When you compare where you are now with where you were then, when you compare your life now to where it was then, it may not look that good to you. It may look like nothing. But use what you have today. Be faithful where you are today. And as you're faithful where you are and as as you use what you have and as you do what I've put in front of you, you will discover that I have so much more for you. And when we say things like the best is yet to come, it can sound like a real cliche, can't it? It can sound like something Tony Robbins or, you know, one of the self-help people, you know, the best is yet to come. And the younger we are, the easier it is to believe that. You know, when you're 17 and someone says the best is yet to come, you go, I hope so. You know, of course it is. I have 60 more years to live. When you're 65 and someone says the best is yet to come, you go, er, not so sure. I, like, let's be honest. Like, and yet, do you know what? With God, the best is yet to come. Do you know why? Because he's always ahead of us. Wherever we are, he is ahead of us. I'm not afraid of dying. Like, I genuinely am real. Like, the greatest fear most people have is public speaking and dying. Um, I, I, I really, I have no fear because I get to see him face to face. So for me, if I were to die, I don't like the thought of pain or sickness, but if I were to die, I get to see him. The best is yet to come. The best is ahead of me. I believe the best is yet to come. Look at the Bible. Joseph is thrown in a prison. He's thrown in a pit. And yet what's the best? Is yet to come. He becomes prime minister. Look at the book of Ruth. Her husband dies. She's a a foreigner. And then she meets Boaz. The best is yet to come. Jesus goes to a wedding. All the good wine runs out. And yet the best wine is yet to come. Our God is a God who saves the best. And God says this. Verse 9, again, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. God says, you know what? The glory of now will be better than the glory of then. 
You're looking back to Solomon's temple, the glory of this. What looks pitiful to you, what looks small, what looks insignificant, what looks sad, what's disappointing you. The glory I place in that thing that you're so disappointed with will be so much better than the glory of the glory days. Why? Look at verse 7. One day the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this house. The desire of all nations is a prophetic name for Jesus in the Bible. Jesus is the desire of all nations. I love that name for him. Everybody desires Jesus, they just don't realize it. Everybody wants a king like Jesus, they just don't know it. Everybody's trying to fill that Jesus space gap in their life with everything. He is their desire, they just don't realize it. And one day the desire of all nations will come. And you know what happened? That temple they were building, that meager, pitiful temple, 500 years later, Herod had built on that temple. He had developed it. He had, he had expanded it. And you know who walked into that temple? Jesus. He was brought there to be dedicated as a little baby. As a 12-year-old boy, he was found surrounded by the teachers of the law there. And he said, did you not know I needed to be in my father's house? He stood in that temple and he said, one greater than the temple is here. Jesus himself stood in that temple. The desire of all nations came to that temple. The glory of all the earth filled that temple. The problem was that the people were so concerned with the externals, with the building, that they missed what was most important. That was the presence of God that dwelt among his people. And here's the main thing, and I finish here. Here's the best thing. In the Old Testament, the temple was a physical building where God dwelt. And you went to the temple, you made a sacrifice, and you hoped that that sacrifice would make you right with God. But all of that changed with the coming of Jesus. Instead of us going to God, God came to us. Instead of us making a sacrifice to try and get right with God, God became the sacrifice who hung on the cross and made us right with him. He made us completely righteous and perfect before him. And instead of the temple being a physical building where his presence and glory dwells, we are the temple. God's spirit dwells inside us. And wherever we go, we carry the greater glory of Jesus. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? Do do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And I, I just, I believe God wants to encourage some of you who who have been through disappointment, discouragements in in the last few years, who who believe that things are never going to be as good, who believe that the best days are behind you. I believe God just wants to say to you, I haven't finished yet. I haven't finished yet. Just, I'm thinking, funny thing just came into my head there. You know that movie, The Exotic Marigold Hotel? And the little, I can't remember, the little Indian guy who owns the hotel, he says, it'll all work out in the end, and if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. (laughs) If it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. Because our God is a God with whom it all works out at the end. And in 2018, I think God wants to say, the glory of 2018 will be greater than the glory of 2017. And some of you really need to hear that because 2017 was a tough year for some of you. I believe prophetically in the world stage, I believe this is going to be a year of significant turmoil throughout the earth. I don't even need to be prophetic to say that. You look at the nations. But God says, I will shake the nations. 
God has shaken the nations. It is not out of his control. And God's hand is on the nations and God's hand is on your life. And God says, you know what? I have so much more for you. Do not write yourself off. Do not write yourself off. You are not a badly damaged car that needs to be written off. You're my masterpiece. You're my workmanship. You're somebody whom my hand is on, my spirit is within. Do not write yourself off.